Welcome, friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our past may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life in a body that we love. A life free of diets, free from guilt, and free from shame. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey there. Thanks so much for tuning in to another interview episode on the Awesome Inside Out podcast. If you enjoy this conversation and get value from the wisdom shared today, the absolute best way that you can always support is by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, sharing on social media, and with the people that you love. It would mean the world to me for others to have access to this powerful content because this really is about a movement, a movement of us all coming together to become happier and healthier. So thank you so much in advance. Also, make sure to stay till the end as I'm going to offer you some applicable takeaways and a challenge this week based on the conversation shared. This week, we're diving into the journey from addiction to recovery with Doug Bobst. But before we dive in, think of a goal that you've had for a long time. Perhaps it's something health-related that you've been wanting to change. Now consider why you're still stuck on that goal. What are some of the reasons that you haven't reached it yet? Your mind might immediately come up with a list of external factors, your exhausting job, your demanding family, your frustrations with the world. But regardless of what your mind says, I'm here to tell you that there is something bigger stopping you. And so that bigger thing that's stopping you is your mind. I remember the first time my coach told me my mind was holding me back, how hard it was for me to hear. But what I learned over time is that your mind is actually programmed to find reasons why you can't achieve your goals because it wants to avoid change at all costs. Because the pathways in your brain have fired in specific ways for many, many years. And change to the brain is often as terrifying as death. And our brains recognize what habits work and keep us safe. So when you attempt new behaviors, your brain can't always discern whether or not the change is good. And our minds will come up with excuses not to change in order to keep us safe. Often this is translated into rationalizing, avoiding, and continuously finding ways to blame people, circumstances, and past experiences. And I'm not denying that these things don't have an impact on us. They do. But I've found that the blame will always transfer over from one thing to the next until we take full responsibility for ourselves and our lives and move through the discomfort by creating new pathways in the brain. And there's absolutely no one who understands this process better than Doug Bobst. An award-winning personal trainer, author, speaker, and business owner, all of Doug's accomplishments and accolades are a direct result of his own transformation. After a felony drug charge which landed him in jail at the age of 21, Doug discovered a love for fitness. And so he chose to use his time in jail, locked in his cell, to beat his demons and reinvent himself thanks to a powerful combination of faith, family, and fitness. Once Doug was released from jail, he knew he couldn't live without exercise in his life, so he hired a personal trainer, lost over 40 pounds, and found his true calling. He opened his own business to provide others with the same transformational experience that he had, 
and coaches them on how to turn negative circumstances in their lives into positive motivation. And so if you want a life of health and freedom, but you felt stuck in a cycle of disempowerment or blame, this episode is for you. Hey, Doug, welcome to the Awesome Inside Out podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making the time today to dive deeper into the topic of recovery and all things health and wellness. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we could make this happen. I'm excited to, to chat with you and, and serve your audience. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been following you for probably the past year and our paths have like consistently, continuously crossed. We have a lot of mutual friends and I've seen this incredible work that you've done to really be a voice for individuals taking ownership of their lives, their health, and really truly stepping into what's possible outside of of their limited mindset. And so the interesting part of that was like, I didn't know your profound story of recovery, which I was so blown away to hear and how you took the radical responsibility approach to your life until recently. And I was like, we have to do a podcast on this. This is incredible. Because I think now more than ever, people need really to up-level their relationship to their minds, their relationship to themselves. They really need to step into a place of empowerment, especially with all of these various challenges moving moving and coming forward during the times that we're living in. So could you start by taking us back to when you were sentenced to jail and when you were in the state of addiction and how you got there and then what steps you took to leave jail a different person? Because I think that that's what's going to be so empowering for people to hear. Yeah. I mean, thank you for the, for the kind words, Sarah. And I think, you know, right now more than ever, we're seeing a mental health epidemic be exposed, right? We're seeing a lot of people that are struggling with their mental health that have been for quite some time. And you're seeing it by the way that where people are handling this pandemic. Not that like it's easy what we're going through, but there's a lot of people that are handling it better than others. And you're seeing now the increase in addiction. Like I, I heard a stat. I was like, it might have been this a month ago that was like alcohol sales are up like four hundred percent, like four hundred percent. That's a lot, right? And people have just they're mismanaging their pain and their adversity and turning to things like you know substances and you know sex and other addictions. And I understand completely what it's like because I've been there. And for me. I had a lot of trauma growing up. I grew up in a divorced home. My parents got divorced when I was five. I was bullied in school. I was picked on, you know, suffered every form of abuse there was. And I turned to drugs to, to self-medicate. I started smoking pot when I was 14. And, you know, it's funny how it's like pretty much legal now. But for me, when I smoked pot, it felt like this monkey come off my back. Right? I felt like I could be at peace with who I was. I felt like I didn't have to worry about the problems. I feel like I didn't have to think about like my future or anything like that. And then for any of the listeners who have you know fallen down the same rabbit hole, you understand that one hit leads to two and two leads to three. And by the time you know it, you're doing it every day. You're selling a little bit to support your habit. And so I'm doing this all through high school and barely, barely make it by. I ended up being kicked out of my mom's house and then living with my dad full time, changing schools. And when I was 16, and I began to really seek things externally to fill up this void that was missing from me internally. And for me, that was continuing to use drugs, not only using them, but selling them. So I started selling pot in higher quantities. I was picking up, you know, a pound a week, something like that, which was a lot of pot. I mean, a pound is 
I don't even, I honestly don't even know what a pound, a pound is of what, 16 ounces, right? So it's a lot of stuff to be selling. And, and at the time I was 17, 18 years old, I barely, you know, graduated high school and was bouncing around from couch to couch because I'd just been kicked out of my dad's house. As soon as I graduated high school, I was kicked out because, you know, my dad was like, you can either stay here and not do drugs or you can leave. And I'm like, well, I need to do drugs. So I'm leaving. And I was running around with the wrong crowd, which I think a lot of people do. And as I was running around with the wrong crowd, that's all we did was get high. And so I began to master the art of smoking pot. So I was like, well, what's next? So well, let me try snorting cocaine. And I did a line of cocaine and that line of cocaine led into me doing like an eight ball a day. I had this addictive personality, which many of us do. And what happened, Sarah, is very profound is I started getting crazy anxiety, right? Which shocking, right? Like I'm selling a bunch of drugs. I'm doing cocaine. I'm at this point, I'm, I'm super overweight because I I self I also was self-medicating with food too. Like my meals would consist of like a cheesesteak and pizza and ice cream. And like throughout the day, I mean, I didn't eat healthy at all. And it's funny now that I'm a trainer. And looking back, I remember there was a time where I was so high and I was living on my one friend's couch. He was getting ready. He had just actually gone off to college and my face went like numb. My heart started racing. I thought I was dying. Like I literally was like, I am dying. And what ended up happening was I go to the emergency room screaming, like I'm dying, I'm dying, help. And my friend's mom was there with me. And one of the ER nurses was like, sir, you need to sit down. Like you're just on, are you on drugs? And I was like, no, I'm dying. And, and it was a panic attack. And that was pivotal for me because up until that point, like I said, all we did was do drugs together, my friends and I. So I knew nothing else. I knew no other like modes of fun. I knew no other people that did anything else. And so I had this, it created this weird phobia and it created like this insecurity inside of me that I was worried. I don't know if anybody's had a panic attack, but the biggest fear for me when I had a panic attack was not the panic attack itself. It was the fear of getting another one. So in my mind, I was like, well, I guess the next time I smoke or do coke, I'm going to get a panic attack. So I had, a, I had a choice. I could either stop doing drugs and stop hanging out with that group of people and change my habits, change my lifestyle and not have panic attacks, right? That would be like the logical thing. Or the illogical thing, which I chose was how can I find a way to still do all of the above? And so I got offered a five milligram Percocet by one of my friends. And I felt like that same monkey come off my back that I felt when I first started smoking pot. Not only did I feel that money come off my back, I was able to smoke and, and snort Coke without getting anxiety. So that led into the depths of despair of my worst addiction, which was Oxycontin. And the five milligram perk turned into three, 400 milligrams a day up my nose to the point where half my left nostril was missing. And I literally had to snort like a couple hundred milligrams just to get out of bed in the morning. And everything kind of came to a head for me. And keep in mind, up until this point, I'm, I'm probably right now, I'm like 19 and a half, 20 years old. I lost friends. I lost friends to overdoses. I lost friends, I think, to uh, drinking and driving. I lost, you know, a handful of like friends, not like people I knew, like friends, like people I hung out with. So the scared straight thing didn't really work with me at this point. And uh, Cinco de Mayo 2008, I was riding around with a few of my friends to go pick up some Oxycontin and I had a busted headlight that I'd been meaning to fix forever and just didn't because back then all I was concerned about was doing drugs. And if it didn't get me high, it didn't re result in me making money, I didn't want anything to do with it. And I end up seeing a cop running radar 
and flashed my high beams at him, thinking that that was going to keep him from pulling me over when really it gave him a reason to pull me over. So just high beamed a police officer, pulls me over. One thing leads to the next. He pulls me out of the car, searches it, and finds a half pound of pot, $2,000 in cash. And my heart went into the pit of my stomach. I thought my life was over. And, you know, I was, remember sitting in the back of this cop car. And I just remember thinking to myself, every dream I had was shattered. Every memory. I don't know if anybody who's listening has ever had something like this happen. But any bad memory I had in my life just all came to a head. I was like, what am I going to be? Everything of mine is, is done. It's over. I'm going to be dead. All these things and end up getting out of jail. I got bailed out. My dad bailed me out and um, was charged with a felony intended to distribute marijuana and ended up going to court in September. So uh, about four months later and four and a half months later. And the judge sentenced me to five years. He found me guilty and sentenced me to five years. Everything suspended but 90 days, five years probation, 200 hours community service, all kinds of fines and drug classes. But he looked at me and he said, Doug, if you complete everything without messing up, no misprobation, no miscommunity service, none of that. I'll take the felony conviction off your record and give you a PBJ when the five years is over. And at that point, I was 20. I didn't think I was going to live to see my 25th birthday. I was just like, there's no way I'm going to make it. So I just said, you know, whatever. And about a week after my 21st birthday, which was, I guess, three weeks after I went to court, they gave me some time to gather my stuff. And, and at that time for me to get more drugs, right, I ended up reporting to jail and detox cold turkey off oxy, which was the worst thing I've ever gone through. It was three weeks of of hell. Like it was like having the flu, like hardcore flu for three weeks straight, uncontrollable vomiting, bowel movements. You feel like you're trying to crawl out of your own skin, anxiety, all that stuff. And my cellmate during this time was like, you're going to start working out with me. And I remember looking at him. He was like a more jacked version of Brad Pitt from Fight Club. And he was like, running around the jail, the jail common area, doing like hundreds of push-ups, pull-ups and all that stuff. And he was like, dude, you're going to start working out with me. And I was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like I couldn't, I can't work out. Have you seen me? I could have been a model for Pillsbury at the time. And there was one moment I remember talking to him and I was telling him my story and I was blaming my parents and I was blaming my, the people that did me wrong in school and blaming people I did drugs with. And he looked at me and it was just pretty much like quit being a wuss. He was like, you got yourself here. You chose to respond to your circumstances in that way. He's like, plenty of people go through the same thing you went through and didn't end up here. So he said, if you're going to change, it's going to be up to you. It's not going to be about anybody else. And you need to take ownership of your stuff. And I, I remember that vividly was not what I wanted to hear, but I needed to hear it. And that moment was pivotal because I decided, you know, after him like bugging me about it to give exercise a try. And I remember getting down to a push-up, couldn't do a push-up could barely do one from my knees. And with his encouragement and motivation and they're training me every day for the 90 days, I was able to do a set of 10 pushups and run a mile. And it gave me the motivation and encouragement and self-esteem to know that I was going to make it, that I was going to beat the drug addiction. And while at the time, like I honestly, I didn't really believe in myself, but I knew that if I could just fake it, like literally have this false sense of, of faith, like blind faith that if I gave it everything I had, every effort to change, Every single day, I had a chance. and if But if I didn't, I knew I would fail. And I remember at the end of my sentence crying because I was so blessed and moved by this guy who helped save my life. And I remember saying to him, like, how can I repay you? And he just said, you know, don't mess up and pay it forward. And I still have the workout routine framed in my place today. So I never forget where I came from. And 
the other thing too is like it's not it wasn't about the push-ups and the sit-ups i, I think i don't want people to, to, to think you can just do push-ups and sit-ups and all of a sudden your problems go away but it's how they made me feel it was the ability to get comfortable being uncomfortable it was the ability to do something i didn't want to do it was the ability to do something that scared me i was so scared working out in front of a bunch of grown men when i couldn't do a push-up could you imagine in front of a bunch of grown men you know my ego was already shattered Getting down and do a push-up and couldn't do one for my knees. That was the most one of those uncomfortable things I've ever had to do in my entire life. And as we know, when you go through pain like that, you grow through it. And many of us are afraid to sit in the pain long enough to grow and we end up creating more pain. So, And then also, Sarah, it created some consistency and structure in my life that I had never really formally had. So I just kind of gave you a lot, but that's like the... I mean, I kind of gave you the the details of how I got into my addiction because I think that's important because I think a lot of people now are self medicating, mm-hmm. and also how I managed to work my to start to crawl my way out of the the depths of despair that I put myself in. Mm. Yeah, and I love what you referenced in the sense of when we're in fear or insecurity or pain or maybe have had trauma in the past. Often we move into an addictive mindset or we use things like the sex or the drugs or the alcohol to numb that pain, but then it only causes the repercussion of more anxiety or panic attacks or more fear or more anxiousness. And I think if people really understood the cycle in which addiction leads to, it would stop us before the addiction starts to say, how do I just manage this feeling and feel into this feeling now and and get support to move through this before I move into the addiction because the addiction is actually going to cause more of the effects that I am trying to avoid. I know this was true with my addiction, even with food. It was like the more that I tried to numb the pain, the worse my panic attacks got, the worse the pain got, the worse my Adderall addiction got, which led to even more, (laughs) more of the the problems. And so you're just digging yourself a bigger hole instead of instead of saying, okay, how can I be gentle and loving and compassionate with myself now and manage this trauma from a different perspective? And so I love that reference. And I think it's important for people to hear specifically now. And the other thing that I really love that you shared, which I'm a huge component of shifting your mindset first before you do the nutrition and the movement changes. But what I found from research now is that science is showing that workouts actually build resilience and they build the confidence. And so I love that you approached it from that angle and then started working through the mindset shifts that really needed to take place. Were there any other radical sort of responsibility pieces or moving out of victimhood or were there any other mindset shifts that you really needed to take with you when you left so that you were like, okay, addiction is not going to be my choice moving forward. This is absolutely going to be a different way and I'm choosing a different life and this is not going to be who I am anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think I want to first acknowledge what you said about, you know, a lot of times what what happens in our pain and our adversity, we end up doing the very thing that we don't want. Like we end up creating more pain and adversity based on the way we we respond. We don't, you know, take time to reflect. We don't take time to heal. We end up turning to things like, you know, drugs, alcohol, food, whatever it is. And it makes our situation worse. So if the goal is for us to improve our self-esteem and the way we look in the mirror and to feel better about ourselves, it's just really funny how sometimes the way we have learned to cope is by doing things that that will make that worse just by default, right? So like it, learning that that, like stepping back and acknowledging that and being like, wow, like 
I'm actually pushing myself even further away from what I want. And I'm, not, I'm subconsciously not even thinking about it because I'm not taking the time to reflect. So that's one thing. Two, a radical shift I made, I don't know if this is a shift, was learning to channel my pain and my anger. Because what happens is when we have pain, when we have anger, which is all normal, all healthy, it, and it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. And if you think you're never going to have pain or never going to be angry in your life, I mean, you you got the we got something you know coming you know because it's it's not true, and the reason I say that is I learned to channel all that into something positive. I learned that when I would run or I would work out, I would think of the things that made me angry. I would think of the people that doubted me. I would think of all the the times I did drugs and I was ashamed of myself. I would think of all the girls that rejected me because that was pain that was still sitting inside of me that somehow had to come out. And whatever works for you, whether it is journaling or meditation or breath work, or for me, it was fitness. The pain has to, you have to move those emotions, right? Like you, you can't just, it's, it's trying to dissect why you're angry. You're wasting your time. I mean, I think there's a place, I mean, let me backtrack. There's a place to reflect and understand, but I think harping on that for days and days and days and days, like you're just going to keep stuck. You're going to stay stuck in that, in that dysfunctional pattern. So moving through those emotions. So for me, I was able to use my anger and my resentment towards myself and others into something positive, right? And one of the other things that really has helped me was I had to really choose my suck, right? What I mean by that is it sucks changing your habits. It sucks eating chicken breasts and egg whites and whatever else <laughs> I had to shift into eating when I was from eating pizza and you know, <laughs> burgers, like all day, that's what I would eat. So doing all that sucked. It sucked mm-hmm. staying at home with my grandparents, watching the Food Network when my friends were out. It sucked letting go of my old friends. But here's the thing that sucks even more is living your life in such a way you know you're not happy and looking back and being like, I wish I would have made better choices. I wish I would have listened to my gut. I wish I would have changed the way I ate so that now I don't have diabetes or or whatever. Like that sucks too. So you, you have to know like, like which one do you want? And the reason I say that is because we're faced with choices every single day in life. Every single day we're making a choice that's moving us either closer to our goals or further away. And I'm not saying this to, to be like a drill sergeant or be hard, but I think the reason so many people are unhappy with themselves is because they have failed to make choices that are to better themselves. And they look back and they're like, I regret, you know, making these choices and there's nothing wrong with regret. But it's like you can't change it. So why not, you know, pivot and be like, you know, never again am I going to make choices that push me further away from the person I want to become. And for me, that saved my life because it allowed me to then change my friends. And not that there's anything wrong with my old friends. I mean, I still will keep in touch with some of them today. But I didn't have anything in common with them anymore. Like, no, they were like, you want to go run? Like, no, I want to go to the bar. And they're like, what? You want to, you know, eat like chicken and broccoli? Like, don't you want a cheesesteak? So and again, I'm also not saying that you have to eat perfect all the time. I, I'm just trying to make this analogy that as you grow, you outgrow people. You, you, you go into different directions or, and you have to acknowledge that and be okay with that because that's hard. That's one of the hardest things I've seen with people who struggle with addiction and get into recovery is changing their friends. A, because you know everybody tries to be the nice person and says, you know, like I don't want to be mean and say that I don't want to spend time with them because that's going to like hurt their feelings. Or B, they don't like being alone. And it's probably a combination of both. And I think you have to have, you have to do both 
to grow. You have to be comfortable with being by yourself and being alone and, and knowing who you are. And you have to have the courage and the audacity to set some healthy boundaries for yourself, to set standards on the people you want in your life. Like, and if, if that's the life you want to live, if you want to do drugs the rest of your life, cool. Like, that's fine. I'm not judging people who do, right? I would, I mean, I would hope that's not what you want. Most people, I would say, don't want that. But, you know, if you want to live a life where you're healthy and you're helping other people succeed and you're confident with yourself and you're raising a good family, and surround yourself with people that are doing that. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think to the subconscious mind, it is very triggering when we look around and everyone else is suffering and we're sitting there saying, well, who am I to be happy and free and fit when everyone else around me isn't? And so to to our minds, that feels very triggering. And it, and it almost is like, well, I have to move through the discomfort of, again, like you said, being lonely and being open and courageous to st- to standing in my truth and then attracting new people. And that that time frame is is, I think, one of the hardest parts. I know that that was for me. When I left the modeling world, I literally shut down all of my social media. I changed my number and leaving my group of friends who brought me so much comfort. It wasn't healthy comfort, but it brought me comfort was terrifying to walk away and say, I'm going to go to the other side of the world and I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to find new friends and I'm going to cultivate a different community. And and for me, I knew that that was necessary. Otherwise, I was going to allow the people in my life to keep validating my unhealthy behavior. And sometimes it's it's having that courage and it's not it's not easy at all. It's definitely challenging. And what I loved what you shared before that was the part about using movement as a way to embrace these emotions and these belief systems that came forward. And I think we can use movement as a way to forgive. And I think only through the forgiveness can we really find ourselves on the other side of it. And it's a practice that Tony Robbins talks about, which is the incantation, which is using a heightened state of awareness to move through emotion. And you can do that for forgiveness and you can do that for positivity. And it's something I do quite a bit where I'm in this heightened state, this active state. And then I see myself or visualize myself having a very different life experience than the one I'm I'm currently in if I need to move through something. So I love that you used exercise as that kind of way, just probably right from intuition, just saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to use this in a way that serves me and allows me to, to shift. And so I love that as well. I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into what you said in one of your videos, which is that there's all this talk about the drug epidemic, but we aren't discussing the root cause of the drug epidemic, which is the mental health epidemic. And I think this is such a good point and something that you have been a stance for, which I love because if we view anything like we do holistic health, we have to get to the root cause of anything that is problematic or or making us sick or making us frustrated or in pain or or in suffering. And so often we just ignore the root cause and yet wonder why the solution isn't presenting itself. And so I wanted to dive deeper into this and kind of your thoughts on this and what we can do as a culture to really approach mental health from a compassionate, loving viewpoint, but still make change around it, right? Like to really empower people to create the change and and what needs to take place in order to do that. Yeah. I think I want to, you know, I appreciate you saying that. I think addiction and I might catch some slack for this is something is an internal problem that's that's displayed externally, right? I think that you have 
all these traumas and pains and stress and emotions that there's a lot of people that just haven't figured out a way to manage them in a healthy way. And I'm not to say that there's not a certain percentage of the population that has this genetic predisposition where if they drink a glass of wine, they're going to drink four bottles and that's it, right? But I think for the most part, from what I found from talking to a lot of people, it started with with them being unhappy with who they were, or it started with a traumatic event where, you know, a relationship and you just go down this rabbit hole where you want to numb the pain. You don't want to look at yourself in the mirror because you're so unhappy with who you are. So you'll do whatever you can to get outside of yourself. And for some, it comes with drugs, some it's alcohol, sex. I look at social media in the same way. I think there's a lot of people that are heavily addicted to this drug of social media and they have no idea. They think just because it's legal and everybody else is doing it, you know, we've heard that before with drinking, that it's okay and that there's nothing addictive about it. And I believe that we we hide. We wear these masks of addiction, whether it's through our phones or whether it's in a, for the substance, because there's something going on inside or something that happened that we haven't dealt with. And I, I look at it from my own experience. And I also look at it from just a lot of the people that I've either interviewed on my podcast or people that I've talked to just from writing my, my, one of my books about how they've managed stress or gone through adversity and different things. And that when you battle in an unhealthy way, it can lead to more unhealthy things in your life. And the mental health part of it is I've noticed that people just, they haven't really figured out healthy ways to manage stress, to manage their emotions which is why right now you're seeing in the most stressful time we've probably ever been in in this country, right? There's alcohol sales are up, addictions up. I mean, I think suicides up, all these unfortunate responses to stress and emotions because people haven't learned or picked up on or been taught, whatever it is, to deal with it in healthy ways. Because I look at myself who's had a history of addiction and I mean, I'm not any better than anybody else, but I, I'm very fortunate and blessed to have developed a lot of healthy coping mechanisms during this time that's been stressful for everybody to to not lose my shit, you know, whether it's meditation, whether it's, you know, exercise like we talked about before, whether it's just that I have a good core group of people in my life that I can lean on to gain support from and then, you know, move this negative energy into something positive. And I think for, for people to understand that that addicts aren't bad people, right? I think so many people, they look at a, a guy who's putting a needle in his arm or a girl doing drugs or whoever it is, that that person is bad. Like, I don't don't hate the addict, hate the drug, hate the behavior, right? Like, that's that's the issue. And when you get – and nobody really understands that until it's them or their kid, right? That's what I've noticed. Like, until they're affected by it, you know, when they're like – it's instantly affecting them in their circle or in their life that they start to really see that, you know what, like this person's just really sick right now. So I don't know if that helps with anything, but I mean, it opened up any kind of clarity or any more questions you have, but I really do think that like it's a mental health epidemic. Like there's a lot of people that have anxiety, depression, bipolar, you know, everything else. And instead of them, instead of people, because of the stigma around it, like raising their hand saying, you know what? I need help. I need to go talk to somebody. I need to get this figured out. They hide and they hide behind addictions. They hide behind their phones. And because of that, you're seeing the problem get much worse. The heartbreak that I've had around this topic is, I mean, even with 
young girls and their their addictions to dieting pills and weight loss tactics and and just using different various techniques to harm their bodies because of trauma or because of experiences that they've had in their life, and, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, is that often the parent doesn't want them to hide that behavior or they don't want it to bring it to light. Or even I've heard stories where, you know, sadly someone has passed away from an eating disorder and yet it's hidden from the family or it's hidden from social media or it's hidden from the community that that someone would pass away from that serious of a condition. But because we're culturally and generationally told to hide behind our pain, right? Then it gets passed on and there's not the awareness that these things are actually going on. And I think that's the heartbreak for me is, is that instead of bringing light to the fact that like trauma does create these experiences, let's just bring light to it and say, okay, how do we have the conversation? How do we cultivate the toolkit, like you said before, of all the things we need to help manage when stress and challenges come forward. And I think that's the next part of this that I would love to hear from you in terms of like what toolkits, what's what's in your toolkit, right? That has allowed you to, in this challenge of this pandemic, say, okay, well now I'm going to allow myself to really to really use these tools to, to shift out of that. I heard meditation and community. Are there any other things that you you do when you notice or you're self-aware that something is is coming forward and you're like, oh, wow, like this is showing up? Because even myself, I've noticed that in this pandemic, had this happened five, six, seven years ago, I would not have been as resourced as I am now and I wouldn't have the tools that I have to help me really move through this with with a different level of grace. That doesn't mean it's not hard but it's just not turning to the addictive tendencies. Yeah. I mean, I think to your first point, I think first of all, the whole thing about families not sharing and everything and not getting their voice out there, I think is a mistake because I think there's more shame in not sharing, right? Because then you're hiding and you're having to worry about, well, who knows? Like, does anybody, did anybody know? Or and there's shame in that. And I, and I know sometimes it's hard to share and like open up about that. And I understand that. I also know, I think Brene Brown says, you know, vulnerability is like the bridge to connection, right? Like, so anytime you open up and share something tragic like that, that happens, you invite the opportunity for other people to come alongside of you who have either been in that situation, going through that situation, or, or just are angels in your life to support you through it. So I would encourage people, no matter what it is they're going through, whether it's a loved one that's passed away or someone struggle with drugs or whatever it is to... Just raise your hand because community is going to be everything when you're going through times like that. Like when you like struggling alone is not good. Like sitting at home is by yourself if you're going through something like that is not good. And to your second point, to what's in my toolkit, I mean, I would say the the power of community has been really big for me and connection and using social media as a me as a way to be a beacon of light to others and sharing my story, sharing my different struggles I've had during the pandemic, sharing my successes being positive and, and also at the same time, while being positive, knowing that what we're going through isn't positive, right? There's a big difference, I think, between like being po- like everything's okay, everything's great. I mean, that's not true. But being optimistic about the situation and looking at it from two ways, you can either look at it from a way of, you know, everything sucks, woe is me, the world's coming to an end, or you can be like, okay, how can I reinvent myself? How can I work on myself? How can I take the time during this lockdown, during the pandemic to work on my health? How can I take the time to start a new business? Like, how can I use this time wisely? So that's a message I've been trying to get out 
to my community through you know social media, my podcast, and everything else. And then also, like fitness, obviously plays a big role. My fitness routines change. It's not I, I don't work out like I did pre COVID. I can't not because I'm scared of getting the virus. It's more so like the gyms are closed and you know, they're, 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 they're spare or they have been closed. I should reframe that. And they're sparingly open. You have to wear, you know, a mask inside the gym, which I'm not, I'm not, I want to talk, I don't want to talk about that, but I'm just saying it's uncomfortable wearing a mask when you work out, when you're not used to wearing one. I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm like training in like altitude right now. So I've had to pivot with that and I've made do with what I had. Like I, I have some parallel bars. I've done pull up bars with my body weight. It's more been about working out for my sanity and not my not vanity. And while we all want to look good, and I think that's an important component to fitness is improving the way you look in the mirror, no doubt. But right now, I think if we could just hone in on the fact of like, just keep yourself sane, whether it's just working out for 20 minutes a day, doing sprints or push-ups, anything you can to transfer that negative energy into something positive to help you feeling better about yourself. And, and just having having a win because there's so much right now that we can't control. You can't control who's going to be elected in November. You can't control what state's going to get shut down or reopened or if the number's going to go up, down, left, right, whatever. But you can control – and by the way, we've never been able to control those, those things anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But so many people want to be able to control those things that you have to really hone in on what you can control. You can control your body. You can control if you're going to exercise. You can control what you're going to eat to a certain extent. You can control what you're going to watch on social media. Like I, I have a lot of my coaching clients. I'm like, you better double up on podcasts, audiobooks, reading, journaling, reading the Bible, whatever it is to the amount of news you watch. Because all the, the news is just going to create more fear and negativity around what you're doing. And, and you should still stay, stay informed. Like, trust me, I think you, there's, you should still stay informed of what's going on in the world. Not saying that. But if you're going to be that person who wants to improve your life and your, your eyes are glued to the news every day, it's counterproductive to what you want to be doing. So that's been one thing I've really been doing is staying off the news. And even like I have friends that like will message me something about, you know, from Fox or CNN. I try to like, I try to just kind of disengage and not because I, I don't care. It's just, I know for my own mental health, like this is pivotal for me and it's pivotal for everybody. And you have to make certain choices on what you're going to include in your life. Just like, you know, if you're eating, like whatever you're eating, it's very similar to what you're watching, listening, and reading. Um, so that's been important for me. Honestly, connecting with new people has been amazing. The podcast has been great. Obviously, we did a podcast together, this is, you know, and, do, and doing this because then you're connecting with like-minded people and, and you're able to share struggles. Like, I think that's the biggest thing people don't do enough of is they don't share when they're struggling. And there's a difference, I think, be, to being like, you know, woe is me, like, I'm hurting right now, like poor me, you know, like my post, feel sorry for me, send me money, here's my Venmo. Between there's a difference between that and being like, you know what, like I normally have it all together, but today I felt like crap and you know, I'm struggling with this. This is how I'm responding. This is what I'm gonna do about it. And then somebody else is like, you know what, me too. Like I, I understand where you're at. I'm struggling with that too. I'm gonna give that I'm gonna give that a try and see if that helps me overcome, you know, whatever I'm going through. And so sharing has been powerful, like sharing struggles has been powerful for me. And then also it trickles down to, to other people are now doing that as well. And then I would say like, lastly, it's, it's more like my faith. And it's just like the belief that, that this is all happening for us and not to us and that you're going to, I'm going to come out better on the other side and that this is all meant for a reason because what other, what other 
choice do you have? Are you going to be like, well, what, this sucks. What was me? Like the world's going to end. I mean, how are you going to live your life? You're going to probably live your life in lack and out abundance. You're going to be negative. You're going to be ungrateful. You're going to be pessimistic instead of like, okay, like what do I have to gain from the situation? Not gain like, oh, I'm going to you know take people's money, but how can I help myself? How can I help my community? How can I help change the world in this dark time? Does that make sense? Yeah, a hundred percent. It's like shifting our energetic experience around the beliefs. And, and like you said before, in terms of being vulnerable and sharing, I love how you shared. It's not about being a victim to the circumstances, but it's about being vulnerable and sharing from a place of this is my truth today. And yet this is the actionable steps I'm taking tomorrow. And I would love to connect with anyone else also experiencing this, or maybe from what I'm learning or what I'm doing to take more an empowered role in this space of pain, maybe it will inspire you. And through that energy of empowerment, we really do create, create change. And I think that's, that is one of the pieces of the puzzle and why vulnerability is so, so important because like you said, it's so easy to look online and be like, all these health coaches are crushing it right now. And like I posted a post, I was like, I gained weight during quarantine. My health routine sucked the last month. Like this is where I am. And I'm taking a responsive approach to, you know, getting back into shape and I don't want to feel guilty or, or shamed for wanting to be healthy again. And so I love that. And I think that that's really an important piece of this puzzle. And something else you've been sharing quite a bit about is is your relationship and moving out of this toxic relationship that you've been in. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think so often people, and as what we were talking about before you, we got on the podcast is that so often we go through this empowered sort of experience in our life and we're like, we're on top of the world and we can take on anything. And then something shows up where we start to recognize that there's a part of ourselves, a part of our subconscious that is still in a different vibrational st state where we're operating from a place of wounding or patterning from our childhood or, or from the past. And so can we talk a little bit about that and how you've kind of manage the mindset around this relationship to sh that showed up that wasn't serving you and then how you're rethinking, you know, challenges that come forward that, that are unexpected that we don't even recognize we're unconscious to. Yeah. I mean, I just want to start by saying I was in a, a previous relationship with someone that I, you know, I cared about. I still care about, like, I don't wish her any ill will. I wish her the best. I also know that it was very unhealthy for me uh, for a majority of the relationship. And it was a challenge for me because, you know, when we first got together, you know, I, you know, just like anybody else, you have high hopes and then you get in it and you know, deep down, even at the very beginning, I just knew in my gut, we weren't completely aligned. I knew it wasn't going to work. I just knew it. And instead of me kind of sticking to my guns and, and everything that I already knew and, pushing her away when she continued to kind of chase me, I kind of just kept inviting that in and, you know, obviously agreed to get in a relationship and develop feelings and all that stuff. And as that went on and the more we got to know each other, I just knew based on the dynamic of the relationship and I just knew it wasn't for me. I just knew it in my gut. And I tried to, to exit numerous times and I just, you know, I felt guilty staying in. I felt that I couldn't abandon the relationship. I couldn't abandon her and I would be a bad guy if I left and I felt stuck. And it doesn't mean that, you know, this person was bad. It just means that I knew that for me, it wasn't what I was looking for. And I was on the hopes of 
the potential, I guess, of, you know, what it could have been. And really because of me waiting on that or hoping things would change or whatever, it didn't. And I began to lose myself. I was miserable. I mean, and I was more miserable that I felt, I felt like a fraud in a way. I mean, and we ended up breaking up one. I mean, we broke up, I, I broke up with her several times just because of, I just, there was got to points where I was just like, this isn't going to work for me. And then we get back together. And then the one time we, we broke up for a period of time, it was like a week or something. And, you know, she wanted to get back together. And I knew in my gut, my heart that it was done for me, done. And I still cared about her and I decided to, to give it another chance, but I was just, I just knew I was like, it didn't work for so much, so long. Why is it going to work now? And I did, I regret that. Not because, I mean, I, re, I mean, I learned some lessons, but I, I should have just, I, I regret not trusting my gut, trusting my intuition, just completely walking away because then you're in a relationship now for a lot longer than you need to be. And there's more trauma created and that didn't need to happen. And subconsciously, I kept wondering why I was staying in the relationship. Like, why? Was it that I thought things would get back to the way they were at the beginning? Was it that, you know, maybe eventually my, my feelings would completely change again or was it that I, I was guilt I don't know like I think for me I felt guilty I felt trapped because I look back and I felt triggered because my dad walked out of my mom when I was five and I didn't want to be that guy and I also felt like the, I, for some reason in my mind me leaving a relationship equated me being a bad guy and so part of me knew that I should have left because I was unhappy and I just wasn't, I didn't feel like completely aligned with where like our values and everything. Like that was part of it. And then the other part was, well, like, what is it saying about myself, my own like self love for myself? And, you know, I share this number one, anybody who's listening, who, is in a similar situation or maybe you're like, Hey, why is he sharing? I'm not sharing to blame my ex for anything. I don't blame her for anything. I mean, I mean, sure. There's different, you know, faults each person has in a relationship. I'm just sharing like for what I'm learning about myself so that if somebody's listening to this and you, you're in a point where you're, you think you're successful and all of a sudden you hit a roadblock and you're like, oops, like it's just being able to have the courage to take ownership and be like, you know, I got some work to do. And that's kind of what I did. I reached out like when I knew like, that I needed to get out of the relationship. I ended up, you know, reaching out and connecting with a, a coach to heal from the trauma and figuring out a way out. But you know, what happens is instead of like, I had to wait for her to be like done too. And not to say it didn't hurt. I mean, it still hurt, you know, leaving the relationship. Cause like I said, you still care about the person. You still want them well, but I think it would hurt even more was I was, I was myself for staying in something a lot longer than I know I should have been honoring myself. And so picking up the pieces after that was a challenge. It was like, all right, now what? Like I need to obviously work on myself because I was repeating a pattern. Like there was a pattern from my childhood that was being repeated. I knew it too. I was so self-aware, Sarah. I knew exactly what the pattern that was being repeated. I was like, I told people about it, talked about it in therapy, like, but I couldn't, I don't know. Subconsciously, I just was stuck. I mean, is that, I don't know if that makes any sense. I don't know. If yeah, it makes I know, sense. I know. I mean, that's what happens. And then we view... Yeah, we've what our 
childhood was in terms of what we witnessed as relationships are how we relate to love. And so there probably was this deep level of belief on a subconscious level that that was actually true love because that's what you witnessed growing up. And that's what I've witnessed many times in my relationships. And I've done a lot of healing around it as well. And I I think that this is the most important thing for people to hear because we know in our gut, like we know intuitively if we connect to our heart and our heart space, what is right and what is wrong for us. But until we actually do the work, our intuition can't get loud enough to really help us move in one direction or the other. And until we heal our wounds, we we continue to seek the love in which we believe we deserve from a relationship to what we saw love was. And so it's it's definitely something I think is powerful for people to hear now because what's happening is is partnerships where what I'm seeing with my clients and what I'm hearing a lot about is they're is exploding. that they're being, yeah, they're <laughs> exposed. And it's like finally this is the time where we can no longer run from that voice of intuition that's been there but we haven't been able to do the work. And I believe if both parties do the work, sometimes they can come together and heal. But if you're doing the work and you outgrow the partnership, there's nothing wrong with that. It just means that you're ready for something, you know, more in alignment with with who you are. Yeah. And that's kind of, I guess what happened is I kept growing and growing and I was just, you know, I felt like the relationship was holding me back in some ways. And and that was just my again. This is this is my own shit. This is me not like this is me trying to be the good guy and being. I'm sure having some sort of codependence too and being like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to abandon this person because I care about them. And it's also to say that you know, when you are comfortable in admitting that, like in owning that, like there's peace in that because now you're like, okay, I can actually heal. I can actually do the work and you know, what ends up happening is you end up staying in things for too long and it ends up, you know, it ends up like robbing you of your peace and your joy. And, you know, obviously like for me, like I, one of the things that's honestly like this is, I, I don't know if I've really openly shared this on the podcast before, but I'll share it now is, is that for some reason, one of my defense mechanisms is once I detach emotionally, like I'm, I'm done, like, I am done. Like if you like break my trust, I'm done. Like I, I can try and get it back, but authentically, like I'm, I'm done. Like you, you get like one shot with me to gain my trust, and once it's broken, you're out. I might still be around, like it might, I might still be hanging on, or you know, doing this and doing that. But my heart, my soul's gone. And I go, I, I look at that like with my, I don't know if it goes back to my childhood or what. And honestly, like you can forgive someone without having them in your life, right? There's that part of thing. But there's also people that are probably more trust, like more open with their trust with to, to me that like if they break your trust, then you can kind of let them back in. I've just learned in my experience that a tiger doesn't change their stripes. And, you know, unless they've done some like massive work, massive, which takes time. Like, I mean, like years, like years <laughs> of work, like on their own to come back into a place to work on things. And for me right now, I mean, I've been, I don't want to jump into another relationship. I mean, I, I mean, I've had opportunities and stuff, but I think for me, like in my life right now, if it's not a hell yes, it's a super big hell no. 
And I learned that the hard way when I started to realize how the relationship was affecting me and my, my, my own mental health and um, my, my business and everything that I should have walked away a lot sooner. And I'm, the, what I'm working on now is trying not to beat myself up too much over that. I mean, I've been into all kinds of different, you know, talk to different therapists and friends and people that were like there, like for the whole time to see all this happen, which was good. I mean, the, the positive thing about all this is everybody kind of, the people who were closest to me kind of already knew. So it wasn't like a shock to them when this all happened. It's not like they, it's not like I was like surprised, like our relationship wasn't good. It was like, what took you so long or why did you stay in it? So like, which is hard to hear, especially for someone like me, who's in the public eye, who talks about personal development and positivity to sit with that. And again, I want to, again, last thing I'll say is I don't wish any ill will on my ex. I care. I still, there's a part of me, obviously that wants what's best for her. I pray for her. I pray she finds peace and finds happiness in her next relationship. I also am not afraid to share, you know, my own perspective and my own responsibility in the downfall of the relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that there's an empowered mindset shift that can take place when, when we also recognize that often by leaving a circumstance, whether it's a career, a relationship, family dynamics, it's only through the exit that the other person can do the work on themselves. And so often we're liberating or or allowing someone to step into their truest self if we say goodbye. And that's that can be various degrees of goodbye, but I think through that belief system, right? That that only through through leaving the dynamic or the unhealthy codependency is there room for that person to shift and they either can step into the victim role and the blame role of this person left me and now I'm suffering or they can stand in power to say now I get to do the work and now I get to recognize what went wrong and I will take these lessons with me into the next relationship and I think that's what's so so beautiful and been so healing for me and hopefully you know I hope it brings some light to you that through this exit you can let go of the responsibility to someone else because we're only responsible to ourselves. And that has been one of my greatest lessons and one of the hardest <laughs> for my own wounding pattern <laughs> to let go of. And through that belief system, it's finally set me free from so many circumstances, whether it's having to let an employee go or having to walk away from different, you know, even the fashion industry and my agents and having to say goodbye to so many different parts of my life. It's like, well, well, through the ability to say goodbye, it offers opportunity for healing on both sides if the other person chooses it. So I love that. And thank you for sharing. I know that that's like a very vulnerable place for you to go right now, but I know a lot of people are suffering in their relationships and I think it's important to help people really move through this time period. So, but yeah, Thank you for being here today. This is really great. And I just love this conversation. I think it's going to really empower so many people to, to really rethink addiction, to really rethink their addictive tendencies and to really support people in shifting into like the root cause of some of these issues that, that we can all, you know, step into more of a radical responsibility approach and, and out of the victim mentality. If people want to reach you, how can they reach you? 
I'm, I'm kind of like, like a little ashamed. Like I do have an actual text service. I don't use it. So don't, I'm not going to get, I just, I won't respond to it. I just need, it's like, I did it. Like I was like, all right, I got to get in this whole text thing because that's like the way of the future. But I was like, I have so many other things going on that I just didn't have time to, to put forth a lot of effort. So if somebody wants to reach me, I guess the easiest way to do that is on Instagram. I'm pretty active there. You can see everything I post from, you know, motivational stuff to stuff about my podcast. I try to be as goofy as I can with stuff with my dog and also the adversity advantage podcast where I interview a bunch of people on how they've overcome hard things. And uh, dougbopes.com has all my more about my story. There's some media stuff there with all my interviews I've done as well as um, a link to buy my books. Um, if you want to hire me to speak, and then also, um, I know a lot of people are struggling with adversity right now. So if you go to dougbokes.com slash gift, I got five moves to help you uh, wake up happier that'll help you overcome adversity. So I appreciate our conversation as always. I mean, I think you're so easy to talk to and there's something about you that makes it, there's like soothing, right? That you're, I can open up and like kind of share without fear, you know, fear of judgment. So, you know, kudos to you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think, you know, I think although we had different addictions, I think when you come from that place, right, and you've overcome that, and then you recognize now being in an empowered state to really take responsibility and also to to just cultivate new mindset shifts and new toolkits, right? A new toolkit every day. It's like, what else can I add to my toolkit to really make sure that I am equipped for when hardship and challenges come my way so that we no longer fall back into those tendencies? I think that that's what is so similar between us. And I think although we speak about different addictions, I think we very much have similar views on on so many things. And so thank you for being here and just showing up and being a voice for addiction and, and challenges that people are currently facing. And so I'm just so, so grateful. Of course. And yeah, I just remember that to your audience that I think addiction is just a symptom of something internal, right? So it doesn't matter if it's food or drugs or sex or social media or gambling or the news, right? I mean, it's just something internal that we haven't really dealt with. So I encourage people just do the work. I mean, the last thing I want to say about that is it's, it's freaking hard, man. Looking at yourself in the mirror and being like, I need to show myself some love in places that I haven't, you know, healed before. I need to be nice to myself and kind is not easy. Right. But it's also, like I said, it's not easy walking through life pissed at yourself. It's not easy walking through life, being miserable with the people you're around. It's not easy in life to be upset with the way you respond to certain situations. I mean, that's not easy either. So you got to like choose which one you want to do because one, you're going to make your life worse with one choice and the other choice, you're going to make your life better and you're going to learn a lot of wisdom along the way. So that's my, my, yeah. la- my last two cents. Oh, I love that. And I love that because my last two cents, I was <laughs> um, <laughs> just like going to keep going. But the interesting thing is there's all this work around focus on the parts of yourself that you love and that's great. But then are we going to keep avoiding the parts of ourselves that we don't love and then using different addictive tendencies to like suppress those parts of ourselves? It's like, no, we need to, we need to also look in the mirror and pay attention to the parts of ourselves that we don't love and address those parts with love and compassion so that we can shift the mindset around those beliefs in order to stand empowered. And so I love that. So thank you so much again for being here. Awesome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. What a powerful conversation with Doug. His journey is so incredibly moving and a true testament to the strength that we can find within ourselves. 
from years of doing my own inner work and coaching clients, I now understand that to get the results that you want, the desire to change has to be greater than the discomfort that change brings forward. And the energy of change truly has to be driven by responsibility for ourselves to stand empowered, to take the steps one at a time to create a different outcome for our lives. It means spending time preparing to meet our goals, setting up our environment for success and anticipating the obstacles of our mind. Because yes, challenges are inevitable and they will rise. But responsibility means, as Doug shared, that when challenges arise, we rise to meet them. To give you some actionable steps to move forward, I want to leave you with a mindset shift. When you take responsibility for your health, you regain your personal power. When you exercise your personal power, it builds qualities like confidence and resilience. And when you possess these qualities, you're less likely to sabotage your efforts. It's really powerful to think about it in this way. And just like Doug's journey illustrates, you don't need a fancy 10-layer smoothie, some high-ticketed workout equipment, or the newest crockpot to reach your healthiest self. All you need is an empowered mindset to show up for you. And what I found is that the support you need is often in the book on your desk that you haven't read, the app you downloaded and never used, or the program you bought and didn't finish. Resources are generally not the problem. It's what we do with them that makes a difference. And so this week, I challenge you, when a negative thought creeps into your mind, call it out for what it is, not for what it's pretending to be or the action it's trying to have you take. Name it, recognize it, allow yourself to become aware of it, and then let it go through pattern interruption. Interrupt the belief with a new belief, such as, I choose to let this belief go without acting on it. When you name the negative thought, you take away its power and you can become aware of what action, behavior, or habit you usually choose from that belief. And then you can choose something else moving forward. Next, invite yourself to think something nourishing and a positive affirmation like, I choose to be happy under every circumstance or my body is strong and beautifully unique. And as you move throughout your day, stop to ask yourself these very simple questions. What is a new behavior or an action that is available to me in this moment? And then before your mind begins to convince you to move into an old behavior, courageously step in to a new direction that serves your highest good. I trust that through this process, you will become empowered to take a stance for your health. And I also trust that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It was a conversation I believe we can all benefit from. And so if you enjoyed this conversation, I urge you to go listen to my podcast with Jim Quick, centered on the stories we tell ourselves. We approach a similar topic from a different angle of empowerment and finding deep belief within ourselves. Further, drop me a message on Instagram if you've been listening to these podcasts and let me know what's been resonating. What do you want to hear more about and how can I support you in becoming happier and healthier? I'm here for you. You can find me on the gram at Sarah and Stewart. And until next time, I'm sending you so much love. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. 
So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.